I won't do it. Yes, you will. You will do it because I ask you. Because it will help our people. Because if you do not, I will reveal everything you have done on Mimbar. I will humiliate you, your family, and your house. I will drive them from honor and bankrupt them. I will have them stripped naked and whipped through the streets of the capital at midday. And in the end, I will destroy them. So yes, you will go and you will do it. My nons are willing to go into great danger, risk sacrificing themselves for you, knowing that in turn, we serve ourselves. If the symmetry were any more perfect, I should think one of us would break into tears. You see, it is not enough for me to simply kill you, Rita. I could do that at home or here. But through your death on now, I will discredit your house and all opposition in the royal court. No, this is a mistake. Come back! Make sure this is found on his body. Leave his face and head intact. It will be needed later for identification. The rest is yours. When God comes knocking at your door, you won't need me or anyone else to tell you what that sound is. On Babylon 5. I won't do it. Enemies are ambushed. Allies betrayed. No. The shadow war escalates. And Sheridan's caught in the crossfire. No wonder you are cranky. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone. Outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies who are watching every episode for the very first time as well as some first ones who have watched every episode way too many times and we are here today to talk about the warm and fuzzy episode the really happy go lucky episode that is and the rock cried out no hiding place i'm scott and with me is emily blake mike nicole kevin and Justin. You're not gerbil or whatever you were last week? What were you last week? Chinchilla. 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 Okay. Chinchilla. <laughs> it was some sort of mammal. <laughs> 
Okay, so before we get started, just a reminder again to please check out all our social medias. We're active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find the links down below. And we are actually doing our end of season bracket right now. We're in round two. So if you want to help do the fan vote of which episodes you think should make it all the way to the end of the bracket, you can be voting on those now on Twitter. On Facebook, our newbies are pretty active in chatting with folks. And then if you can go farther, we do have our Patreon, which also gives you access to our Discord, where we have both a non-spoiler and a spoiler section. And that spoiler section has been going today quite a bit, so that's uh, been fun. Finally, what we really could use your help on, aside from giving us likes and subscribes and all of that, is to leave us reviews. We actually didn't get any new Apple reviews this week, so we could really appreciate if you give us some Apple reviews next week. But we did get one, guys, from Audible, because believe it or not, there's like five people listening to us on Audible podcasts, and one of them sent a review. So I'm going to read that one now. This comes from Kindle Customer, because that's not vague. Great podcast. I love the banter between the first ones and the newbies. I enjoy watching you kids talk about a great show. Well, the fa- anyone who calls me a kid, I really do appreciate that because I'm not anymore. So let's go ahead and dive in the third to final episode of season three and The Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. We don't really plan well, so three people made a synopsis. And Emily came up with the wonderful idea that you at home can vote for the synopsis you think is less shit than the others. So if you go on our Facebook, I will post the three synopses and you can vote to see whose is better. Let's go to the first one. And Justin, you have our first synopsis. All right. The hardships and vicissitudes of leadership is making Sheridan crotchety. And he learns that he can get by with a little help from his friends. Well, one in particular. Reef is back on B5 with a plan to finally take Londo down once and for all. But he learns that when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Spoiler alert, he doesn't win. Finally, much needed reinforcements are revealed in the Shadow War, giving the Alliance a fighting chance after all. Lord Reefa. Kevin, synopsis number two. Lando gets revenge against the wrong asshole and treats Veer like garbage again in the process. And as the war progresses, Delenn and Sheridan share a passionate kiss that not even Emily will be able to argue with. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) Also, we'll get into it in the conversation, but Lando wasn't sure Veer was not going to die, right? <laughs> There's a, there was a good possibility Veer was going to die in this plan. I just want to throw No, you're, you're too unimportant to die. Uh, Emily, your third and final synopsis. All right. Londo is back on his plotting and scheming bullshit, and Lord Reva gets served the fruits of his labor. And the fruits are knives and fists. Yay. I love the schadenfreude of watching Reva die. I may rewind and watch it a couple times here and there. It's fun. Best scene of the episode. Okay, well, don't worry well, the lead, Emily. And since we're talking about that scene, I just have to say the juxtaposition of the um, church service singing that song and then uh-huh. going back and forth between the, you know, church service and then him getting killed by a mob. Like, what a cool, creepy, badass, like... To, hats off to the whoever directed this fucking episode because David Eagle. That scene was dope. Like, oh, I had like chills and goosebumps. It was so like, it was like eerie and creepy, but also like, yeah, fuck him. Like at the same time, but just like the the just com- like having the oh yeah, we're in church, we're singing, and this guy's getting murdered. Like, what a 
whoever thought of that hats off I will say too the uh, the singer who sang that uh, actually passed away a few months ago. So she's actually a professional singer, and uh, one of the highlights of her um, obituary was this episode. So it's uh, sad that we had her, we lost her, but she's an amazing singer. And yeah, I agree, it's fun to watch that scene a lot. I look forward to that scene every time I do a rewatch. Okay, let's go ahead, and I'm gonna guess we have some new people because we always get new people on bigger episodes, and this is one of the big ones. So how this works is our uh, newbies are going to give us their first impressions on the entire episode. Then we're going to talk about the episode in uh, total and break down a few scenes and themes and all of that. And then we're going to ask our newbies if they have any lingering questions or have any predictions about what comes next because they have not watched anything past this episode. Then we'll kick them out the airlock and then the first ones will talk about all those questions and predictions and anything else that the newbies may have missed. So let's go to our newbies first and with first impressions and Nicole, since you were the only one without a synopsis, please go. Thanks, uh, Scott. Um, <laughs> so this was a really, really good episode. There was a lot going on in this episode. It was there was love. There was vindication. There was revenge. There was a plot like it was really, really good. Um, I definitely did not expect the twist at the end uh, with Jakar and Londo did not see that coming. Uh, maybe I'm just naive, but I totally didn't see that coming. I really thought Londo was going to get got. Obviously, I was very happy with the ending with Delenn and Sheridan. You know that. I've been shipping them for a while. Um, but just, just, this is just like another one of those episodes that a lot of stuff happened in it and it was all good like content. But it's just another episode building towards something bigger. And I feel like, again, this was another kind of catapult episode. Like this was another, you know... Just it keeps building and building and building and building. And then we're going to I assume at the end, we're going to see a big climax, like because every week, you know, every episode we watch, something happens that is just adding to the story. So I really was excited to kind of see the pieces coming into play. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next. Justin, first impressions. Yeah, I mean, Nicole hit it on the head. This is a great episode. I love the savagery. Um, I love the the story of like the Sheridan and the religious plot. Brother Theo is sassy and snarky, and I'm all about it. Londo and Jakar actually like working together, getting some shit done, even if it's for their own reasons. And I'm I'm really digging. You're seeing a more defined on screen on screen chemistry between Bruce Boxleitner and Mia Furlong, and I think that's kind of really cool too. And then R.I.P. Rifa, you know, it's it's a character. He always a character you love to hate. So sometimes it's kind of bittersweet to see those characters go. But what a good way to go out. And Emily, first impressions. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> a lot happened in this episode. Like, as far as the plot, so much happened. That was really interesting. But I could not focus on this episode. Something about it fell flat for me. I apparently there was a kiss. Totally freaking missed it because I could not keep focused on it. But I got to see Reefa die, so you know that was worth it. <laughs> and this is where Scott ends our friendship because I didn't love this episode. My God, I mean, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like a world, I can it's feel like a... the first one's just like, why Some... the fuck is she here still? You don't know. She's getting booted. Everyone on this show is fucked in the head for one reason or another. We found out your reason, so it's fine. <laughs> I do not like the Dylan and Sheridan crap. I, I don't like it. 
I don't like her being googly eyed over him. It bothers me. Gotta it's be one voice of crazy, dissension. Man. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna Matt Gates your ass here. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> every Emily, party Emily, has a pooper. <laughs> That's Emily why I'm loves, Emily loves the shitty episodes and she hates the good ones, man. It's a world upside down. And she flat out said it. She's like, I love the episodes that mean absolutely jack and shit. It's the ones that are world building I don't like. But I don't know what it was. I just like so much happened and I know as far as like the storyline goes, it's very important, but it. And I know it's not the serialization stuff. And a couple of us first ones had this conversation on the side. You like Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so serialization is not your problem. Oh, we no, said maybe, maybe she only all. likes I, season I, one and two of Deep Space Nine. That is true. Mike did say maybe she only likes season one and two. I like the whole thing. I think my actual issue is I can't binge watch it. So having a week between episodes, my brain is just like, I whatever happened, who the fuck knows, doesn't matter. <laughs> And it's almost like restarting it anymore. Let's party like it's 1996, man. I'm a millennial of you. I know. It's tragic. Okay, well, let's move past Emily's poor decisions and (laughs) go to our first ones. And by the way, those wondering, Jesse is out sick this week. She is still around. She'll be back. So uh, we'll go to Mike first. First impressions on And the Rock Cried Out, No Hiding Place. (laughs) It's actually sort of, this isn't my favorite episode either, actually. Uh, I, I do really like the Lando plot line that, that part, half of this episode is fantastic. Um, I, I love, I love that you see once again, that Lando is not just a really huge bastard, but he's also a really smart, really huge bastard, but really beyond that particular aspect of the story, you know, the stuff with the religious leaders coming to B5, I'm not super into I kind of agree with Emily that the thing with Sheridan and Delend is not my favorite thing to watch. It it I don't know. Delend's character comes off a little bit goofy to me sometimes with with their interactions. You didn't and like the crotchety comments? The the crotchety part was kind of cute, but it took a lot of screen time and and I can't get over the fact that at the end of the day I feel like Sheridan spent a lot of time staring at a screen and obviously and, and missing something relatively obvious. <laughs> to the rest of us so i don't know like it's kind of a mixed bag episode for me it's it's got really high highs and i wouldn't say it has any really low lows but it just half of it's a little bit dry on my scale so kevin would you like to say save this shit show <laughs> i like i like this one um I, I i wouldn't say that i absolutely love love it but i i like this one a lot i, I certainly the Delenn and Sheridan plotline doesn't doesn't bother me like it does others. Um, and I I always like seeing Louis Terrain playing Brother Theo. I really like that character. I liked um, the character of um, uh, the Reverend uh, played by Mel Winkler. Um, and Eric Avari is in this episode, and he's in absolutely everything. So of course he showed up in in uh, Babylon Five um, after uh, having such a prominent part in Stargate and so many other things. But the end of this one, I like the just juxtaposition, like Nicole was talking about, with uh, uh, you know JMS really likes to screw with audiences, and you can tell he really enjoyed writing it that way. Um, but I don't know, I I like this episode; it's good. Blake. So this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the series. I'll, I'll try to save the shit show here. Um, this is probably one of my favorites. And I think some of it is you look at JMS and for those that have read his bi- autobiography, this is a dude that has a very complicated relationship with religion. 
I mean, he was in a religious cult. The guy is an avowed atheist. But the way he's weaved religion into this show and portrayed religion, I mean, I think we've seen people do a lot worse takes on religion than what JMS has put into this show. So I kind of like that he shows different faiths, both within humanity, but also within the alien species as well. So you've got these different takes on faith. And in this one, you've got the different faith leaders coming in and helping smuggle information through to Babylon 5. But then the whole piece with that ending where they're having the church service and they're singing that song, which is an actual gospel song, by the way. This is that's a real song that's out there. JMS didn't write that one. He did not. So, you know, you've got this gospel song over the top of they're just going after and beating the shit out of Rifa, which actually, I mean, the song is based off, I believe it's something out of Revelation where uh, someone tries hiding from Judgment Day and tries hiding in mountains and under rocks. And so, I mean, you think about the song where it's based off of out of scripture into the scene that is playing out as they go after Rifa. I just think that's probably one of the best choreographed and shot scenes in the whole series. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the religious aspects of it. I, I'm really impressed that JMS throughout this and in all his writing that I've seen, even though he is, as you said, an atheist, he doesn't ever mock uh, religious folks, religious uh, leaders. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. And I like the fact that at least the Southern Baptist gets his time. I actually would have w- liked a little bit more time with the uh, the Jewish and the Muslim uh, leaders as well. Cause even, and also the, uh, the Hindu slash Buddhist, because that one gets like, doesn't even come to dinner. <laughs> He's just gone. But um, I love the, I love the conversation that Southern, the, the, the Baptist minister has with um uh, Sheridan, where basically he tells Sheridan to get his act together and stop being a little dick. I really do appreciate that. Scott, if you yeah. want more time with the Jewish leaders, it was TKO season one. Uh, <laughs> Just rewind. That was the other point I was going to make. I was going to make a TKO point. We talk a lot about episodes that have a really good B plot and not a good A plot and vice versa. This one, all three of the plots make sense and they kind of interact and coalesce and it's it's very thematic. It's not like, why the hell are these two stories going at the same time? I'm looking at you, Gray 17 is missing. So I really do appreciate that too. I got a lot more to say, but I'll wait until we get into the discussion. So let's dive in. And as per usual, Nicole has her hand up first. So Nicole begin what can i say i'm a good student um I, I just i just thought i would continue kind of off of what blake was saying and maybe we could kind of talk about the religious stuff first get that out of the way so we could talk about the good stuff like Rifa getting killed um but i did want to also say uh blake you kind of hit the nail on the head there when i was watching it i thought you know for a guy who is an atheist from what you guys had said and has no ties to religion I thought it was really cool how he brought in different kind of religions and he is very respectful to all of them. And you know how sometimes when you watch a show or a movie and they write these like religious, you know, plot points or characters and they're exacerbated and just obnoxious or like not um, it's almost like mocking it. I I appreciate the fact that he is very respectful and very uh, inclusive. And he also really spreads the the kind of gamut of like everybody, you know, like, like you said, there was the Muslim, there was the, you know, the Jewish guy, there was the Baptist, there's brother Theo, like, so it really is interesting um, that someone who's so anti-religion has been able to incorporate this into this show in a very strong way. Cause this, again, like you've said, it's not the first time we've seen some sort of religion or religious ceremony or religious character come to the, 
station. You know, it's been throughout the entire show. Uh, so I thought that was really neat. I also too really enjoyed the conversation that the uh, preacher had with Sheridan, basically like rely on your people, talk to someone, get your shit together, like you said, Scott. And um, I thought that was a really... You know, at first he kind of rejected him and was like, I don't want to talk about this. But then I think he got his head out of his ass because clearly you saw he did. He kind of probably also had talked to Delenn, too, because she pulled him out of the war room and was like, you're going to get away from this. You know, he says you're getting in too deep. So I thought that was um, it was kind of a necessary plot point, if you if you will, because the whole beginning part with her and him with the crotchety scene i laughed by the way i thought it was so cute how she thought crotchety was such a funny word but it was true like as you saw him throughout the episode he was agitated he was stressed and he needed some sort of catapult to get out of that and i think that conversation kind of started it and then she finished it so um i just i really liked you know that whole thing um you know i liked the dinner scene i liked the end scene i just and like they were saying you know we want to bring some joy around. We want to show other, you know, other different kinds of religions. And I thought that was kind of cool because in a time of crisis, uh, like they're about to go to war in a time of uncertainty, some people do rely and cling to faith to help them get through it. So I thought maybe that was kind of a, a nod to giving people something that they need to kind of cope and get through. Cause there was a lot of change too, you know, branching off from the earth group and, you know, all these crazy things happening in the world, everyone has their different ways of coping and a lot of people turn to their faith. So I thought that was really cool, like just to kind of see that um, being offered to the people on Babylon 5 and the aliens on Babylon 5 as well. Justin. Yeah, it's I, I for one, I thought that this whole kind of um, part of this this particular episode was kind of I, I, I agree. It's it makes sense. It fits within the overall theme. Um even if like the whole singing part of everyone singing was kind of weird. Um, even like Lanier was really getting into it and I kind of chuckled at that. But I loved his his sermon was was fantastic. It's all about fear. And that kind of delves back to the scene at the dinner where they're willing to do take enormous risks to themselves to do the right thing and help you know funnel information to Babylon 5 and stuff like that. But just, you know, very poignant, even in terms, uh, once again, you know, a show from 30 years ago harkens to 2023 in the current ages and where we live, where aliens aren't the enemy. People who believe differently and live differently aren't the enemy. It's fear, you know, and if you let fear become hatred, it'll completely destroy you. And, you know, that's to me, it's it's how a lot of faith should be. Um in terms of how people should act towards each other and stuff like that. So I love the way that uh, JMS portrays faith and stuff like that uh, within the, within the show. And I just love how they all just kind of talk shit to each other. It's, it was, it was a great comedic kind of break in a place you didn't necessarily expect it, Um, especially between the, the Reverend and they said his name at the beginning. And unfortunately I didn't write it down, but, but, but the Reverend and brother Theo, um were fantastic i i, I love watching those two on screen together um uh, because it was just really entertaining to the point to where i took some inspiration from scooby-doo and i started referring them in, in my notes as religion incorporated and i'm like i'm sitting here thinking like would that i would watch a show where they go around solving little mysteries around the station like <laughs> i really want to see that happen um but it's it to me it was just a very fun thing with a deep meaning so it's I 
yeah, I know some people can kind of view it as kind of weird or kind of nonsensical, but I, 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 I loved it. It was actually one of the things that I kind of, other than the big, you know, thing we're going to talk about later, it was actually one of the things I enjoyed most about the episode. One of my favorite lines from Theo is temporary. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? <laughs> he gave me a compliment. I need to write that in my diary. You know, it's or the or or my favorite one is when uh, you know talking about how given the joyful sound and upon the Lord or something like that, and you know, Brother Theo comes back as you know when God said that. I don't think he was talking about your singing or something <laughs> like that. I, like, I snort was, left. I snort yeah, left. Yeah, it was at just that. great. Though those two worked so well together on screen and it was just it was it was a lot of fun to watch. See, it's funny because JMS, when he was talking online about this, said that he his one complaint about this episode was that Brother Theo was a little too stilted. But I'm glad that you all enjoyed it because uh, I enjoyed it, too. Kevin, what do you got? Yeah, I don't I don't think, you know, Louis Terrain was stilted in, in his portrayal. I, I really don't. I thought I thought it worked very well. I mean, he's certainly a little curmudgeon and you probably expect that from, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not um of that faith but uh you know like the the head monk or you know uh whatever it's called but you know i couldn't i couldn't possibly agree more with with justin i mean you know this is portraying you know religion you know the the best things about religion are coming out in jms's writing and it's coming from a guy who you know has a very um you know um unpopular or or at least complicated view of of religion um and i did finally finish the the biography and it was absolutely amazing i can't recommend it enough um but there's one thing about about uh this that really stood out to me and that was um you know the the betrayal his his name is reverend dexter he was portraying the the best parts of a religious leader being a counselor and not throwing religion in the face of the person that he's counseling. Because I think, you know, many of us can probably, you know, uh, relate to the fact that we've probably been counseled by, uh, you know, a religious person at some point, uh, and it may not have always worked very well because they were either not very good at it or they, they, they led with religion. It's like, okay, but that's not really, that's not that's not helpful to me in my life. Like I need some actual, you know, practical advice that goes along with that. I can't just hear, you know, have faith and it'll all work out. Like that's just, that, that doesn't do it for me at least personally. So I really liked that portrayal in this. I thought that it was incredibly thoughtful. Yeah, I, Kevin, that's that's a great point. Uh, I'm I'm an atheist as well. I don't do religion, but some of my best friends when I was in my political life and also just in community organizing and all that are religious leaders because they're fun. They know everybody, and for the most part, as as long as you don't piss them off about religion, they're they're good people. Mike, what do you got? You know, I think um, everything you guys are saying is is not lost on me. I think. Uh, this show overall does a really good job of kind of mixing religion in with the story and having it poignant. Um, I suppose the thing, uh, as trivial as it may be, that, that kind of bothered me about this episode was twofold. I did feel like Brother Theo was, I, I actually like that character, and I felt like he was relegated purely to comedy relief in this episode. I thought all of his uh, dialogue was more or less, you know, snark. Uh, back and forth with the other pat with the 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 minister which uh, i or the reverend sorry um which you know it was funny i i didn't dislike it i just 
wish that he had a bigger part in the episode um and 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 got to be you know it was it was weird to me that the character of the week reverend dexter came in and was the one who you know dropped some sage advice on uh sheridan rather than brother theo who we know who has been on the station the whole time and that's not to say that it has to always be that way but i guess i just wish he had a bigger part in the episode and, and maybe you know played some role in that as well um the other side of it is that uh <laughs> i don't know i suppose it's, it's a me thing but uh we had rabbi leo uh played by eric avari who i love uh i forgot who already said it but that guy is in everything and he is just I don't know what it is. There are certain actors that are just inherently likable and they're good actors. And it's just like, man, anytime back when I had cable, if I was flipping TV or like watching a movie or something and like his face popped up on the screen, it was like a, oh, hell yeah moment. Like the dude's been in like a half a dozen Star Trek series. He's been in Stargate. He's been in The Mummy. And what other credentials do you even need after that? <laughs> So um, I, I also would have liked to have seen him in a bigger role within this episode. Blake. Yeah, you know, it's funny mentioning uh, some of Brother Theo's snarky commentary. It reminded me a lot of I actually went to a uh, private school in elementary grades and the uh, pastor we had very much like Brother Theo could throw out some of those uh, very sarcastic one liners. But the other part I was going to touch on, you mentioned with the Reverend and being the counseling presence. I mean, I think that was very well done because as a few people have mentioned, a lot of us have had experience with faith leaders doing that type of counseling um, where it's not throwing religion in your face. And I, some of us have had the opposite of that with the faith leaders wanting to throw the Bible at you. And, you know, I think that very subtle actually trying to reach people before I moved out of Illinois, actually, uh, I won't say their name, Scott, you'll know probably who it is, but uh the UUC minister and I had a regular lunch where we would sit and just talk about different things. And that actually helped deal with a few things. So, you know, those faith leaders that can do that. And then the way that that is written into this, again, just the writing coming from someone like JMS with his uh, sort of history of religion it would be very easy for him to be jaded and that come through the writing. And it just didn't. Well, like I said, and I, and I don't think my point was anything about it being a, a religious leader talking to Sheridan. I just thought it was weird that it was reverend dexter and not brother theo well to me it's not and at the risk of upsetting every catholic listener that we have i don't think it's weird that the reverend who is married and actually has some familial life experience would be the one to say it and the brother who's never been married and doesn't have anywhere near as much familial experience would be able to uh, talk about that. So, And, and for those point. Catholics that would like to send us a message, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or send us an email at the link down below. You can <laughs> say all the nasty stuff. Just make it a five star. That's the only thing we care about. Five star and then tell us we suck. That's fine. Do it. Is Brother Theo, is it, are they Catholic? Well, he's or... a monk. So they were like say it monks outright. or something like yeah. Just like they didn't say, you know, Southern Baptist or, you know, like yeah. they don't come out and say that. Yeah, it was, his church was like, was like several syllables long. So I just assumed yeah. it was Southern Baptist. Sure. Interesting. I guess I that was never my read on Brother Theo and what they were. But Brother I never Theo was too busy dealing with I never, I never associated them with Catholicism for some reason. But um, 
the other reason why I think it's a Baptist church is because of the singing. And again, I've been to a few um, a, a few uh, times in a church like that, and I just love the fact that people are just dancing and singing along to songs that are really fucking dark. <laughs> Justin, you already brought it up, but I put the I pulled the lyrics up. Uh, the one the one lines are, you know, they never thought about Jesus, not knowing the end was now here, but they'll be running trying to find a hiding place. When it comes their time to die and everyone's just like dancing and having a fun time. I'm like Jesus. I grew up in a I grew up in a Baptist church. So like this is all this was all nothing new to me. <laughs> Sheridan's getting into it. They're gonna die. Okay. Anything else on the religion aspect or that uh that plot? I guess the tie into the next part is just the whole the whole message of that song is you can't hide from death, you know, as another song is, you know, you can't, you know, don't fear the reaper. Because every your everybody's time is coming and you can't stop it when it's your turn. I would be remiss not to mention this because it has come up before. I want you all to know that the actor who played Reverend Dexter, aka known as Mel Winkler, is his real name. Uh, he is unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, he was the voice of Aku Aku in Crash Bandicoot. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> I can actually hear that now. <laughs> we've we've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, before we get into the main plot with Rifa and Londo, real quick, let's uh, talk about Delane and Sheridan. Which Sheridan kind of mingled with both plots, but anything you guys want to talk about with that? Nicole? Well, you know at the end when they kissed, I screeched like a little schoolgirl. I was so excited. They finally just embraced their feelings for each other. It's very clear that they're in love. And even that reverend guy said, she loves you, you know. Get your head out of your ass, bro. She loves you and cares about you. So it was very exciting to see them finally kiss and to see their relationship start to officially blossom. I mean, we know what happens. They have a kid, you know, eventually. So but it was like just so exciting as it went on because and I thought it was really cute uh, because she was so like caring and almost playful with him the crotchety scene and then like dragging him out and being like you need a break come on let's go and making him go to dinner and like they were already kind of going through the motions of a couple you know so it was kind of like all right and then when you know he goes what can i say or whatever and she puts his hand on his face and says say nothing and then he finally kisses her i was like ah i was like screaming i was so excited so I'm still getting I'm getting excited now just talking about it. So but it was a it was a solid kiss. It was a good one. Um, It was very no eyes open, which was good. Thank you. <laughs> it was awesome. Like that. This is now a, like if there was any question if anyone around them or whatever, if they were going to be a couple, this is I feel like this is kind of full steam ahead for them. Like this is now the turning point where they officially become a, a couple Um, and I'm here for it. Like, well, I mean, some people give roses, others fleets of warships, whatever, you know, helps your relationship along. And I mean, quite frankly, someone gives me a fleet of starships like that. Never know what's going to happen. They're not even bespoke. They're all the same. Here's the thing. For for that, it's still a better cut and paste fleet than Star Trek Picard. I was about to say. Paste fleet from there. We gave Picard season one a lot of shit. However, Picard season one came out in the 2020s. <laughs> this one came out in the 1990s. And it's a plot point that they were a copy and paste fleet. <laughs> Picard sucked. Season three did not. You're Justin, right. what do you got? I mean, it's to me with the whole Sheridan and Delenn thing, it's, you know, nothing on that screen surprised me. You know, we all knew this was coming. It's it was 
you know, good. Let's finally all get it out of the bag because, like, even like the great chemistry between between the two on screen, it's you know she's giving him all the eyes. Like everybody else knows it, everybody else sees it. The only person that was kind of oblivious to it, or not, I, I guess not oblivious, but wasn't accepting of the fact yet was Sheridan. And then he finally, after his talk with the Reverend, said, "Screw it," figuratively and probably literally, and just went for it and. So cool. All right, they're together. Let's now that that's done and out of the way, let's get to the to the important shit. And I think the whole purpose of that whole plot line was just to I think illustrate the importance of them working together. Like the whole like the reverend finally came to him and said, "Hey, look, you know, Adam had Eve, every, you know, I have my wife, everybody's got to have somebody." And so then finally, it was when they finally start getting together and working together, they realize, oh, hey, guess what? We think a major attack's coming right there. So it's it's finally now that they're more of a cohesive unit than now we have, as Dylan said, a fighting chance. So that and 50,000 white stars. <laughs> Kevin. So a couple of things. So interesting tidbit about Mira Furlan is, you know, that she was not a native English speaker. So for most of her life, especially, you know, being here in the U.S., being an actress, she kept a dictionary in her purse or bag because she was constantly looking up words. So I don't know if that possibly gave JMS the idea for this or not, but it did mirror her own, um, you know, life in that, um, you know, not being a native speaker, she did not have the most, you know, robust ca- uh, vocabulary and things, which I found kind of interesting. But the other part of this is that uh, while I've not been the leader of, um, you know, an army during a war, I have definitely found that leadership and management is exactly the way that they, you know, portray it in this. It's it's sometimes difficult. It's sometimes lonely. And I think there are a few people on this podcast that can speak to that with uh, with different uh life experiences so uh, i found that very poignant emily okay so i rewatched the scene real quick um so as far as like the acting goes it's fine it fits that whole like first kiss trope whatever and i think part of my problem with their relationship is one it feels odd for her to be like googly-eyed over somebody so it I, something about it feels off for me and i know in the jack the ripper episode he made them trauma bond and all that jazz but that just feels like this should be more of a liability for what they have to fight instead of like something that will be helpful to the fight against the shadows because if you're in like a romantic relationship and you know the other person's life is on the line are you going to make a decision that's best for them or best for the actual situation, which is one of the reasons why in many companies they don't like married people to work together. And this seems like a good place to not do that, at least in a whatever status their relationship is. Justin. I don't necessarily think it's out of character for her to be all googly-eyed over Sheridan. This is just a continuation of her transition, I think, from when she transitioned to become more human and have that more human experience, kind of like you've, you know, seen and with dad with 
data, sorry, hate mail, data from ne from uh, next gen and even what not quite so, the, the not quite so human movies back in the eighties or nineties. Um, you, uh, it's. I think this is just her because at the beginning she was struggling experiencing these more human emotions and what it is to kind of live a more human life. And I think falling in love and being all silly and about it and is just, I think completely normal for her because this is probably the first time she's really has experienced emotions like this before. So I think it's, I think it's perfectly fine for her. Nicole. I do agree with what Justin just said. Um, by the way, that's a great point, Justin. But um, what I was going to say was, you know how they have the ship is called the White Star, right? Well, in my early 20s, I spent a lot of time at a nightclub in Chicago called the White Star. And I wonder if there was any correlation because I went to that club every weekend between the ages of like 21 and 23. And it was downtown. We were there all the time. And now all I can think about is the damn ship in the show. And every time I think of my memories back at that club or look at pictures, I'm like, White Star, huh? Babylon 5. So, yeah, just kind of a funny little correlation. I don't know if they knew that or not. There is a nightclub in Chicago named the White Star. I, I thought that conversation was going to go somewhere else when you said I spent most of my time in the 20s, in my 20s. I was like, oh, where's this going? No, nope, just yeah, a nightclub I, called the White Star. It was fun. I, I, I got more worried when that part came out. About what direction exactly is this going? We're not even going to talk about what the White Stars look like. I'm just going to throw it out there. Especially oh. given how much this show likes to talk about probing. I just thought we might have been ah! where we entirely didn't no, want to no. go there. I'm not that much of a derelict, you guys. Well, maybe back <laughs> when I was. No comment. Justin, what do you have? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I completely thought Nicole was going to talk about giant space dildos as well. Um, but <laughs> just with... Uh, just. I mean, it's to me, I guess it's there. I mean, there may or may not be any kind of correlation because also the owners of the Titanic was the White Star Line. But anyway, foreshadowing. Oh, wait. Oh, shit. No. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Let's Scott. watch the sinking of that ship. <laughs> so, the but one does question. Does Delenn let Sheridan on the door at the end? Or does, she will. Or, <gasps> does Sheridan paint Delenn like a French girl? One can only hope. Um, okay, so one question I have for you on this part of the, the show episode, because a lot of you guys, well, a few of you guys at least, were really dogging Sheridan at the beginning of season two about how he always knew the answer and how he always had the, the whole thing laid out before anyone else. Now he randomly looks at a screen as he's walking out the door and says, oh, there's a hole there. So how do you guys feel about how, his revelation? I feel like it took him an awful long time to figure that out. Do you see what I'm seeing? Yeah, asshole, it's right there. Yeah, you've, you've spent a week in front of that screen. You would be really bad at Command and Conquer. <laughs> uh, I was more of an Armada man myself, but... StarCraft. I mean, to be fair, I've definitely spent an entire day staring at a screen trying to solve a problem, and then I like finally gave up and go to bed, and then I solved it within five minutes of sitting down the next day. That's very real. But he said he sat in the war room for like what a week. <laughs> yeah, it's a five o'clock shadow going too. He's he's looking a little ruffled. Okay, let's go ahead and move to the bulk of the episode, and that is Lando and Lodrifa. Nicole, am I the only one who didn't see that plot twist coming? Good question, newbies. So Nicole didn't see it coming. Emily, you were asleep, but did you see it coming? Uh, no, I didn't. I was really perplexed at what was happening, and I was legit 
worried for Jakar, but I'm like, he's not going to die. We've seen what happens there. So what the hell is going to happen? Like, is he just going to be arrested in prison for a while? I, I'm going to say half because what I was thinking while I was watching this episode is that Veer was going to have like this act of conscience and he was going to tell Jakar what was happening. And then Jakar was going to find some way to thwart Londo and and stuff like that. So that's I didn't see it as deep as this being uh, a, this entire thing being a plot against Rifa. I really thought Londo wanted Jakar dead and was taking his chance. And I thought Veer was going to be the one to help save Jakar's life. That's what I thought was going to happen. Emily, what do you got? The amount of joy I got from watching Rifa get what he deserved is really concerning. <laughs> like, it was just like, finally, you fucking piece of trash. I am so glad to see you go. It was it was a very joyful part of the episode for me. And um, yeah, I actually find it concerning how much I like that. Uh, again, I, I watched that sucker on repeat, the entire scene from when she starts singing to the end. I just watch it on repeat. It's cathartic. Gavin, what do you got? So my, my thought on this, I, I'm really sorry to see you know, William Forward leave, you know, the, the show. I really liked that. That doesn't mean I like the, the character. It just means I like the complexity of the character and how it's, how he's portrayed. But, you know, the company, the acting company, especially Peter Jersick really liked, you know, Bill Forward and really enjoyed their time with him. I thought he was, you know, world-class guy. So uh, sad to see him go. The, the thing about, about this whole thing is, you know, JMS had a good time writing it because he's like, hey, what would it, you know, what would it mean if I got rid of uh, Arifa? Would it mean that Londo and Jakar would actually work together in some in some twisted way? And that's exactly how he wrote it. And I found I find that very interesting. Um, it uh, it was it was a well conceived storyline that doesn't seem to, you know, have a, an obvious plot hole. At least that I can see, like some of the other ones that I still enjoy, but sometimes you can drive a very small truck through. Justin. Again, I'll use the word again, savage. Like I love when Londo was on that hologram and just kind of talking through his plot. I was just, that was total beast mode for Londo. I absolutely loved it because that just shows how deeply cunning he is. Even, even if, whether you love the character, hate the character, whether you think he's evil for the rest of the show or if you think he's going to come around, you know, it's just the level of cunning that he went through and the, the risks he was willing to take. Like, uh, like I think Scott, you had mentioned earlier, was he going to let, there's a good chance that Veer could have died, you know, it's, and he was willing to take those risks in order to put his plan into motion. Like what else was he willing to sacrifice in order to get Rifa out of the way and put him and his house in a better position of power uh, within the Centauri. And the fact that he was willing to give something, you know, he was willing to give Jakar exactly something that he knew Jakar would have wanted. And that's the protection and the freedom of more in arms. And again, Jakar was complete savage too. Like when they were beating him, he turned around and he walked away mm -hmm. like a boss. I pictured like the guy walking where the house is exploding behind him and not yes. even turning around or seemed phased by it. And he just walks away like a boss. And you see it just fade to black. I'm like that. 
Yeah, that that whole scene is kind of this is a scene that I think we're going to be talking about a lot, probably for the rest of the show. I mean, because it's just how wonderfully written it was, how wonderfully acted it was, and just probably the repercussions that's going to come from this. You know, this is again, we're seeing some of these prophecies start to kind of line up and fall into place. Now, here we are having Londo further, you know, further place himself almost to the right hand of the emperor now and what's going to happen with the centauri from that what's going to happen with the narns does jakar come back to b5 or is he going to cause shenanigans on um on narn on the narn harm world i know i'm getting the kind of question and prediction territory but there's these are the things that this one scene could set up a million possibilities for the way that this show is going to go nicole this really was an iconic plot line because if you really think about it, two sworn enemies basically working together to fuck this guy in the ass. And literally, like, Rifa is such an asshole. Like, the minute he came on screen, I was just like, ugh. Like, he's just such a arrogant, cocky asshole. Um, And I really thought, like, Justin said the word savage, and I thought that was so true because the whole plot line um, or the whole plan that, Lando came up with really was savage. And if you think about it, he really is very calculating and very smart. Like he kind of plays, you know, like sometimes he borderlines Eddie Savant a little bit, you know, but he's a lot more smarter, more calculating and mischievous than I think we really know. Because even at the end, when he brings the crystal with data that was found on his body, that was fucking Ooh, that was savage. Like, that was just, like, very calculating. So... Oh, come on. It gets even better than that. Jakar puts in his coat and goes... Yes! From here down is yours. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, God was, damn! Yeah, it was just so, like, calculated and planned. And really an unlikely pair working together between Londo and Jakar. It was actually pretty cool that they were able to work that out and just kind of take care of that, you know? And it seemed to me that the minister guy, um, I forget what his name is, that was with Rifa. Um, it seemed that he was more so leaning towards Londo's side than Rifa's. Um, and this was like, obviously, he has no choice now to pick Londo's side because Rifa be gone. So, but I really think that adding that element of like, he was a traitor onto his name really gave that, like shame to him and like because they're very big about like honoring their name honoring their family he literally not only had his ass killed but had him shamed and like put shame and dishonor on his family like that was so savage but it was like so epic yeah you didn't see the death of Rifa. you saw the death of the Rifa house yes Justin, what do you got? Uh, the second time I watched this episode, uh, I I was caught by that scene uh, where Londo and Verini are talking, and he's telling him, you know, well, what if I can tell you that I can get a problem out of the way? And he's telling Verini exactly what he's going to do. We just don't know that yet. We think he's talking about Jakar. And then when I rewatched that scene, oh my God, he's telling him, he's talking about Rifa because that's exactly what he does to Rifa. We just didn't know that at the time. And then again, that's what you guys have been saying the whole damn time. When you go back and you rewatch this series, you're going to catch so much shit that you missed the first time. And that was one of those moments for me because during that scene, I was like, oh shit, that's what he was talking about. He, it was, it was like a light bulb moment. It was great. Mike. Yeah, I really like 
the the way that this plays out because as you guys have pointed out it, it really shows that vicious side of londo that we've seen only a couple of times but we have seen it before obviously with his his you know poison plot against rifa and now this but the yeah, the thing that i think is really interesting to me is the fact that he used veer in this whole plot and even though the way that it plays out you know, you, you go through most of this episode scene by scene thinking like, damn, Londo has gone full on villain in, in this episode. He has, you know, put Veer on the on the firing line. He is going to take out Jakar, who is like our new good guy. But the fact that this, it, the episode ends and there's this big reveal in that scene where, oh, Lado actually wasn't going to kill Jakar. It wasn't a plot about him at all. But that changes nothing about what he did to Veer. He absolutely, the words that he said to Veer, he 100% meant. And he 100% compelled Veer to go do something that he did not want to do as a result. And that's not going to be something that I, I hope, you know, that Veer is able to forgive him for. And he can say all he wants that Veer's life was never in danger, but he absolutely did not know that. No, Reef had kind of absolutely tortured him to death. Oh, and we've had no shortage of bodies show up on Babylon 5 or or AIDS going out airlocks. Uh, I think Jakar made some ref- reference to being on his, like, fourth or fifth assistant before Nika- Natash. So, yeah, I mean, Londo was a full-on bastard in this, no doubt about it. And uh, I, had another, I had another point about this that I was going to make, and I've kind of lost it now. Well, while you're thinking about that point, uh, this is another thing we haven't brought up yet. We got a Natoth mention. It's another character we haven't seen in a long while since season two, but uh, she's still out there, supposedly. Yeah. Well, and I guess it raises a question to me about when did Jakar know what the plot was? Did he already know what Londo's plan was before Veer went to him or not? Personally, I think he did. Just the way he, because it wouldn't have worked, I don't think, if he hadn't known, because the conversation, whatever he had behind closed doors with Veer, had to go a certain way to where when Veer got scanned, there's no question that it's about Natoth and it's about Londo uh, setting Jakar up. And I think Jakar needs to know enough about the plot to not out himself without knowing he's outing himself. If that makes I mean, sense. It, it kind of depends how you look at it, because on one hand, you know, Veer has to go through this. Like you said, he has to go through this 100 percent believing that what he's delivering is what's going to happen. And so if, if Londo contacts Jakar before Veer goes, then Jakar has to be a good actor and, and not give anything away that Veer might pick up on. Jakar's a cold blooded son of a bitch. I can see him doing it. I, I kind of lean towards the the side that I don't think Jakar knew until probably after I think after Veer talked to him, then Londo contacted him and said, hey, here's what's really going on. That's kind of what I thought watching the episode. That is what I thought, too. But I I found you and Mike's uh, uh, theories got very interesting, too. Um, I I had not considered that at all. I, 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 like Justin, believed that he found out after he was on the Narn homeworld. Also possible, yeah. One thing I love about that, just a little acting thing, and I don't know if it was scripted or not. I don't have the script. And if somebody has the script books, it's in there. So look at it for me and let me know in the comments. But I love the little scene. It's one of those, Justin, to your point, rewatches. You don't catch it the first time. So Jakar is holding the hollow emitter or whatever you want to call it. And Londo 
smacks Jakar. His hand goes through Jakar. And it's almost like Jakar is not holding it far enough out. So he like, Andreas jostles his hand to kind of correct for that after Londo goes through. So it had to have been scripted or it had to be an Andreas thing because you would have done the visual effects afterwards. But I just, I love the little like, it's not just Andreas holding the hollow thing and not doing anything. He's acting throughout this as well, too. So it's a little things I love catching when I watch this over and over again. The way that they filmed that was really interesting because they had to rehearse it endlessly because, you know, so they did it, you know, with Peter Jersik doing it in the room with everybody. And then he had to do it in a separate room to actually film it. And the rest of them were in a different room and they had to do it by memory of where he was standing and where he was going to be. And, and that I don't, I don't specifically know whether it was originally scripted, but at least during the process, it came out at a minimum. And, you know, that was uh, some of the more difficult filming to integrate the CGI into that they'd done uh, in the series up until now. Uh, but, you know, if not for the, you know, fantastic acting of uh, Andreas Katsoulis and, you know, Peter Jersik, um, that that would not end the great direction by David Eagle. It would not have come off that well. But I thought that scene was very, very good, especially when you realize what went into film it. The other little one I wanted to bring up, too, and uh, this goes again to as you watch the plot unfold, and you may have all caught this, is when Londo and Vera are talking rather loudly in the hallway, one of the guards runs off. And you can just assume that guard is going to tell Rifa everything that's what the, he just heard. So it's that little stuff where you have even extras in the background being used to show this plot off as well. Anything else you all want to talk about? So I did have a question about uh, the timeline of all of this going on. Yes. Sure felt like they bounced from Babylon 5 to the Narn homeworld and back in like a day. Well... There's something that has been not brought up by anyone yet, which I am shocked that Justin hasn't asked a question about yet. We know this episode takes place over four days. We know this because it starts with Z minus 14 days and ends with Z minus 10 days. And I am disturbed. Well, no newbie has brought this up yet. It was in was, my it was in my question. Same. I was going to okay, say okay. my my first question was going to be, what's the significance between Z minus 14 days? What's it counting down to? So that was my first question. It was both a question and a prediction on my side. Gotcha. OK, so we haven't gotten there yet. But yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, Mike, to your point, I think it's four days. Disagree. <laughs> I I would have to watch the episode again, but I could have sworn that as I watched it, it was like hovering around Z minus 14 and Z minus 13. No, it says Z minus 10 at the end. Okay, well, (laughs) go back and again, I'll have to go back and watch it again. But it sure seemed like Londo wasn't Londo because he didn't actually go to. No, Jakar goes to. Yep. um, I don't know. It seemed like things happened really, really quickly. Which, by the way, another little thing that I know, hindsight being 2020, I absolutely had 9-11 thoughts when Jakar is holding that towel up to his uh, up to his mouth. It just it was very much ground zero feeling when I uh, when that scene happened. Kevin, what do you got? GMS actually talked about 
about this and he was like i, I kind of wish there had been a good way to uh to put londo in that scene so that they wouldn't had to uh done so much with the the filming because it was it was difficult but he said that it just from a writing standpoint did not make any sense to have londo there that it would not have jammed him up with minister verini and and implicated him so uh jms didn't see any other way to do it but with a you know holographic recording to make to make that scene really cool the other thing i wanted to say is that you know i i don't often do this but i had a at a full-on like conversation in my head about how i would react to that whole scene with londo and veer had i been veer mm. and it's just like like why would you even consider staying in his presence after that whole thing like i mean just like you said mike he treats him like absolute garbage and puts his life at risk and 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 he he threatens his entire family and everything that he holds dear uh just to get him to do this kind of despicable thing even though it's not really because we all know how bad of a guy reef is but man i i had a whole conversation with myself over that one well, and I'll go one further. It is despicable because he was saying up Chakar to be captured or to die. Yeah. yeah. Plain and simple. And knowing the way the Centauri have been acting around Narn, he was sending Jakar to his death. Whether right. it would be before or after torture doesn't matter. I just That's meant the end result. Yeah, you know, yeah I hear you. With uh, with Rifa, but, you know, you make an, an excellent point. Uh, my question to your question, Kevin, is does Veer have anywhere to go? Londo's already burned his chances with Mimbar. Right. Uh, so <laughs> is Veer kind of stuck? Well, having just come off reading JMS's uh autobiography he talks in there about how he got the heck out of dodge a couple of times even though it was it was to his detriment because he just couldn't live with it mm -hmm. and i i gotta i gotta think i'd probably feel similarly but you know who, who's who you know not everyone um including myself you know couldn't ever be sure of what they would do in a similar situation because yeah. It and to your point, it's it probably wouldn't be very much place that he could go. But uh, some things you just can't live with. I wish I could follow JMS's voice in his head. He says it a couple times in the book. You're done here. Move on. Right. And he moves on. I'm like, dude, <laughs> it takes a lot of balls to move it on. Does, especially a couple <laughs> of those. I mean, yeah. it's it is a hell of a story. It's an uh, it's a hell of a story. I think we'll have a book club with the newbies once we get done with this. Yeah. Thing. Okay, Justin, what do you got? Um, two points. Kind of my take on the whole Veer situation is I believe Veer is still with Londo out of fear. I mean, look at everything that Londo's threatened to do to him if he doesn't do what he says. Now, if he were to up and disappear all of a sudden and not be around anymore or try to hide from Londo, what, does, what doesn't stop Londo from destroying his entire family? Nothing. So he's staying out of fear. It's 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 an abusive, toxic relationship. So that's kind of where I think Veer is kind of stuck in. Yeah, he is stuck. He has nowhere. It's not a factor of nowhere to go. He's afraid of what will happen if he leaves. What if he leaves? It could even be worse than if he stayed. So I think I think that's go what's going on with Veer. But to kind of bring up a previous point of yours, Scott, I kind of had very similar thoughts watching the scene of like Jakar looking over the wasteland, holding that handkerchief to his mm -hmm. mouth, not only of 9-11, but also reports from Hiroshima. Yeah. And that was kind of the same. Um, that was what was going through my head watching it is, you know, the 
almost the effects of, of what a nuclear winter is. Everything is cold. Everything is dark. Nothing's, you know, there's no planetary heat anymore. It's it's just a completely desolated wasteland. And yeah, it's, he, and I'm sure the smell's got to be awful. And it's just, he's been on Babylon 5. He's not used to it where everyone else who's still on Narn, the Narn resistance, they've gotten used to this condition. And it's, and probably part of it is overshock, just shock at what he's seeing. And it's, it's, Everything that Andreas does is, I think, purposeful and moving. Yeah. Like, it's 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 just, it's, you know, I never thought that the one-hand man I saw in The Fugitive all those years ago would turn out to be one of my new favorite actors. And unfortunately, he's no longer around to even continue to enjoy him or to ever let him know how much I enjoy him. Speaking of scenes from JMS's book that will make you cry, just wait. The Hiroshima piece was brought up on the Usenet as well, and it actually gave JMS a little bit to talk about Narn architecture. So real quick, it's uh, the question was, some of the Narn buildings looked like Hiroshima after the atomic bomb intentional and he said yes there was some element of that it's not a moral judgment thing but a a referential point as for narn architecture overall i told him i wanted sort of an alien culture as the soviet union might have designed it everything tending towards the blocky the functional less aesthetic than you would find on minbar this is a culture that has crawled up from war and functionally is more important functionality look at at chronos the klingon homeworld very similar i would imagine more spiry, but yes. It's, it's brutalism. Yeah, yeah. Well, these guys got knocked down by the shadows. We know that now. They got knocked down by the Centauri, and then they got knocked down by the Centauri again. So in at least at least three times in a thousand years, these guys have been decimated. So they're just used to it. Well, yeah, and we, we talked about this before. Like, it hasn't been that long since they, since they ended the centauri occupation either and so their entire culture exists around survival Mm -hmm. which is largely military strength and not bothering to put stucco on that side of your building like (laughs) (laughs) because it's gonna get blown up anyway great okay let's go ahead and dive into questions and predictions and again for those who are just joining us our newbies have not watched anything else uh, up until this episode here so we have next week, which is shadow dancing. So we're going to ask these guys about any questions they have about the episode that weren't answered already, and then any predictions that they have. So let's go to Emily first. Questions and predictions. Um, two questions. What was the 14-day countdown for? Like, are they going to launch an attack against the shadows? Like, preemptive strike now that they have a fleet of white stars? And when do we find out what the fuck the shadows want? Like, what is their problem? What is their end goal? Are we ever going to figure it out? Or are they just, is it complete annihilation of everyone who isn't them? Are they actual genocidal maniacs? Somebody stole their blankie and they're pissed off. They need a fucking hug, apparently. Pretty much. And if you can hug a spider, then go for it. No, thank you. Okay. Do you have any predictions? Well, what'd you say the name of next week's episode is? Shadow Dancing. I predict if there's any reference to the Bee Gees, I walk out. <laughs> Damn it. Leave against the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees rock. I hate the Bee Gees. <laughs> I love the Bee Gees. It's Garibaldi's <laughs> third favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nicole, questions and predictions about the Bee Gees. Oh, I'm sorry, about this episode. Well, my question also was, what the fuck is that countdown counting down till? Um, I'm assuming the war kickoff? I don't know. And then does Jakar make it back to B5? And 
what happens next with him and Londo. Are they like cool or they still hate each other? I mean, they're always going to hate each other. But like, do they have like a, I guess, a tolerance of each other um, after this working together? And then prediction wise, I just think it's going to keep building and building until we see a all out brawl and a battle. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to start in the next one, um, but I definitely feel like we're building to the the showdown so to speak actually for the next two seasons nothing will happen and you're going to be really really cock teased i doubt that <laughs> justin questions predictions i mean i'll skip the z-day question because that's already been brought up well but uh, justin one thing on the prediction side of things uh, i've got emily saying that z the z minus is an attack on the shadows and i got nicole saying it's the start of the war so i'd love to hear what you think it is well, I was going to get that when I get to predictions. Scott. Okay, well then go for it. Sorry, right. you said you were yeah, going to skip it, so I didn't know. No, let's jump right into let's jump right into that kiddie pool. I'm t- I'm kind of on, I guess, the third side of the fence. If it's a triangle, I think the Z dates are um, a made when that major assault that they think the shadows are preparing for in that little square. Um, I think that's when this major assault by the shadows some kind of huge onslaught is going to take place. And this is when we're kind of seeing the events leading up to what I think is going to be kind of a, a very difficult battle for, for our side, but that's where I think it's going. Okay. Now go back to questions, please. Uh, questions. Um, so one, how does the removal of Rifa ripple through the rest of the Centauri and the Narn? populations and even how does it affect the balance of power of what's going on within the b5 universe um that's the major question i had two how long does sheridan keep the flash gordon haircut going um not sure i'm big on floppy hair sheridan um he the the man needs a haircut he's a military officer and then jakar's assertion or demands uh, at the beginning of the episode about wanting Narns to accompany every telepath when they're being distributed throughout the different ships and stuff like that. Why? Is it is it really the Narns wanting to sacrifice themselves to protect the telepaths? Or uh, jumping back to season one, episode one pilot, is he wanting to try and maybe create some little Narn telepaths along the way? Um, and then, uh, then predictions... Um, I mean, in the battle that's to come, I kind of re- re- referenced this earlier. I hope we see more of of Religion Incorporated. I hope we see some more of those guys um, because I'm sure that in the war, once things really get saucy, and especially like Ivanova said, you know, we need we need Franklin back because we're going to need doctors. Well, they're probably also going to need chaplains too. So I wonder how many of these people will come back and serve in a more kind of fighting role, if you will, and then. Um, yeah, Captain Obvious here, but I think we're leading up to, again, the big battle that we're all kind of anticipating is happening. But this is going to be bad, bloody, and heartbreaking. It's 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 not going to be your happy Star Wars-y type, the good guys always win. I think we're going to lose a lot of battles and a lot of people along the way, and maybe some 
people we know. So that's kind of where I think it's going. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and leave our newbies here for now. Next week, we'll be back to talk shadow dancing, and we've only got two episodes left. So I'm looking forward to seeing what these all folks think about for uh, the rest of Season 3. And a reminder that we will have our live Season 3 recap on our YouTube channel October 22nd, which is a Sunday in American time zones. And then it will be a podcast on Wednesday, the 25th, as per usual. But if you want to check us out live and interact with us, make sure to go to our YouTube channel, link down below. I've already got the live show put up, so you can go ahead and click the notify button, and it will tell you when we go live. Until next week, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Blake. Mike. Nicole. Kevin. And Justin. And don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, check out all the links. And if you can, join us over on Patreon. And we will be back after the credits with Blake, Mike, Kevin, and I to answer all these questions and predictions when the newbies can't hear it. And that really pisses them off. So until next week, see ya. I'm just so broken by it all anymore. I don't care. Bye. (laughs) That's it. We've destroyed Justin's soul. You've ripped. ripped. Accomplished. You've ripped my heart out so many times <laughs> that I I just don't care anymore. But it is what it is. That's the spirit. I love it. And you've still got a year to go. I still got a year to go, and I I, I regret life choices. And you've got, <laughs> and you've got five TV movies. <laughs> oh my god! And books and comic books and JMS's um, autobiography. And I'm all, all of the goddamn. I'm all in for a book club. Do. For JMS's yeah. book, that'd be it's awesome. So good. Well, I would also—I did this last week too. I would absolutely recommend. I'm—I'm I'm gonna do this every time. I know it's annoying, but it's true. Trigger warning on this one. But together we will go. Is a fiction book that is—it's It needs to be made into a movie. The fact that the movie rights have not been sold yet it interests me because I think it'd be a perfect movie. In fact, I think it's written like a script. But check that one out too. And that one has no Babylon Five spoilers. Sweet, sweet. Cool. All right. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved or licensed by warner brothers or any other owners of the babylon 5 copyright all clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders they are included here for purpose of review and no infringement is intended the opening and closing themes are available from falling matter on youtube and what's out there the rim and beyond that the truth Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. Spoiler warning, if you have not watched Pass and The Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place, you should end now because we are going to answer all these questions and predictions from the newbies. And I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about season four and five, at least on some of these questions. So before we get started, guys, do you have anything that the newbies missed or anything you want to add that's spoilerly? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the fact that GMS, you know, wrote this 
uh, with the idea in mind that he wanted to make it clear to the audience that no one was safe and that, you know, characters are meant to be, you know, utilized for as good as they are, are worth it. And then um, if there's a dramatic way to, to get rid of them that works for the overall plot and works for the, the story that he's, he's going to do it. But the, I, I find that a little counterintuitive only because, you know, there's only what three, you know, main characters from this show that, you know, um, because you don't count the finale because, well, you just don't, you know, that that pass on during the run of the show. And one of them is is even not necessarily confirmed with Talia. So we lose Keffer and of course we lose Marcus. Um, but I, I'm and maybe I'm missing somebody, but I, I just that's oh, okay and kosh sure um but what i was i was saying you know main cast members um but you're right so i guess what i'm saying is yes this is a precursor to the you know game of thrones type writing where you literally can lose anyone at any time but i i'm not sure that it really has quite quite that payoff and i wonder wondered what you guys thought about it for for me, you know, I'm not a fan. Uh, and maybe it's just because I'm too, I get too attached to my characters and I want at least some of them have a good ending. But like, I just, that's why I checked out A Walking Dead years ago is because you, they make you care about these characters and then they randomly kill them or worse. And I, I, everyone knows if you've watched Walking Dead, uh, the whole Glenn fake out death followed by Glenn then dying later on in the same season it's just that's a bullshit like that that just you're killing the characters just because you want shock value rather than it's important to the story and so that's i'm i think game of thrones at least the first five seasons was extremely good television but it annoyed the shit out of me every time a character just got off because they ate something or did something it was just it was annoying well, and I was I was very shocked, you know, and I probably shouldn't have been, but I was very shocked when I got to the end of that season, the first season, you know, and they they kill off, uh, you know, Sean Bean's character. And I'm like, yeah, I realize he dies and everything, but man, I was really looking forward to him having, you know, the the helm of that series because the actor deserves it. He's fantastic. Well, and the character's great too with Ned Stark, but... and I you know I loved the character, so it was like, Ugh, do I even want to watch this now? But I did. I will say though to contradict myself that kill that death actually had a meaning in the story that that it did. shifted everything sure so i'm, I'm not going to complain about that death it's other deaths i'm going to complain about like oh my, my my friend the bald guy just gets offed in well, an episode because i guess his contract was up i don't know whatever yeah it, it, it's a real mixed bag for me because I, I understand from a perspective as a story, like they're not, ah, what am I trying to say? It's such a muddled thing because they're trying to tell a gritty, realistic story. And the fact of the matter is that in real life, people die in gritty, realistic, stupid, pointless ways. And so a lot of times I understand where they're coming from when a character dies in some strange way. So let's move into questions. And the first question, and I called the newbies out and I was wrong because they already had plans for it, but I was shocked that didn't come up in the general discussion was the Z countdown. 
So the obviously the question was, what's the countdown for? And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to throw out again the three predictions from our newbies, which, by the way, all three are wrong. So we have the countdown is an attack on the shadows. That actually happens next week. The start of the war. Well, the war has already been going on for a while. And then the shadows will assault the area they have left alone. Again, that's more next week. So none of them actually made the correlation. We've been hearing this Zaha Doom thing for a while. And no one made that correlation with Z. So I'm interested to see once they see it again next episode, if they kind of start figuring it out. But it's interesting that they are not making that connection at all yet. I would agree. Does it seem like it kind of slid under the radar as far as everything else going on and what their predictions were? Especially as much as they obsess over stupid shit. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they're letting this just kind of sail by without, you know, 20 pages of tinfoil, red string, insanity. This is something that we've never seen before. There's never been a countdown at all. I kind of feel like in general, they've gotten a little bit less tinfoily. I don't know if they've Maybe been, if we've broken them at this point. <laughs> well, Justin said we took out his heart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure it's as obvious as, as we might think that it is. Well, you know, that's the interesting thing. I mean, if you're watching this back in the 90s, unless you have a TV guide, literally you're not going to know what the next episode is and what it's called. But... I know Justin's got the DVDs. Emily's got the DVDs. Nicole's streaming. You're going to see Zaha Doom as episode 22. Yeah. Even if you don't try. I think, I just think that so far in the series, Zaha Doom as a locale has not probably been mentioned enough that they Mm. understand the importance of it. And I can't remember back, you know, literally 30 years ago, if I even thought about it at the time. So I can't remember. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, Zaha Doom uh, to see how they feel about that episode. Speaking of that, Emily's next question is, when do we find out what the shadows actually want? Well, we will, you know, throughout the series. I mean, it isn't, you know, super, super tons longer before we're going to know. It's going to be three episodes. Yeah. Okay. Lorianne will start to explain. Well, yeah. When Lorianne shows up in uh, episode one of season four, he basically lays it all out for Sheridan. Yeah. As Sheridan lied dying. (laughs) So it's coming soon, Emily. Uh, Here we go. Some tinfoil Blake for you. Does Jakar have ulterior motives for protecting telepaths? Does he want them to bang? Not at this. I mean, that's not where Jakar's aim is anymore. He Mm -hmm. wants to see the effort succeed because he sees the bigger picture now. It's not just about inflicting retribution on the Centauri or rebuilding the Narn regime. It's what can he do to best assist this effort that's bigger than everyone? Because that's ultimately for Jakar what's going to mean freedom for him and his people. He truly is a changed Narn at this point, for (laughs) sure. Yeah. Well, that's why I mentioned, I was going to say, because there's a reason, and since we're in the spoilery section, when they did the overlay with the song at the end, is there going mm-hmm. after Rafa? When they mentioned Jesus, Jakar is on the screen. Yep. You know, and then even for those that have seen uh, Babylon 5, The Road Home, the new animated movie, there's that whole bit with uh, Jakar in the kind of the beyond realm. So there's definitely some pieces here where that plays out where Jakar is more central and important to things as far as the journey goes. And I think even you and I said at the beginning, this is the story of Londo and Jakar. Mm-hmm. And Sheridan. Eh. 
Yeah, I know, I'm. I see. I see where you can say that, Kevin, and I don't disagree with you. But at the end of the day, for me, this is the the story of Londo and Jakar as seen by the humans. I just, I those two characters just drive the show for me. And you know, one the one thing I will say because it was brought up by somebody this episode, um, and maybe it was Emily or maybe it was Mike, one of the two. Um, Sheridan isn't knocking it out of the park for me this rewatch that he has in the past. Yeah. And season four is coming, and so there's more there. But as I'm kind of having a more critical eye on this stuff and watching week to week, he, I'm not as excited for Sheridan as I am for Londo and Jakar. Same with Delenn, honestly. Yeah. And that's different for me. Speaking of those guys, what will Jakar and Londo's relationship be like at the, this point moving forward? Not really much changed after this particular incident. I'm going to disagree a little bit and say this is the turning point i believe they start getting closer from this point on hmm. they're not they're not friends yeah. that comes later they're friends in londo's quarters right before londo gets a keeper but yeah. this is where they start to get closer because they realize that at least at one point they can trust each other and actually jms brought this up on when he was asked like somebody asked this literally the same question what happens next and he says that inherently jakar and londo are going to be a little closer after this because again they've seen that at least for one instance they can trust each other and be quote unquote allies when they need to be so my opinion is this is the turning point i guess i just don't remember this changing things all that much so Mm. i'll be interested to uh to watch you know next few episodes and see how that progresses well and i believe it uh early in season four isn't it where they're trying to get uh you know sheridan's still missing he's not come back to b5 yet and they're trying to keep everything together isn't it they do the jacar and londo do kind of that joint statement together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mm-hmm you know this kind of starts laying the groundwork for where that's going to come in i was trying to remember the episode off the top of my head that that comes out. I can't remember if it's one or two. I think it's one, maybe two. I can't. We'll find out in a few weeks. Uh, the other thing, too, is this is, you know, when Jakar actually gets captured and when he gets tortured, you see a heartfelt like Londo feels for him. And I don't think he I don't think you get that unless there's a path to that. And I do think it starts here. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how that progresses. I was a little surprised the newbies didn't draw into question uh, what happened to Jakar at the end of this episode. Then yeah. they even mentioned whether the Natasha Natasha thing was was real or not, or or hell, if Jakar was even going to get back off of <laughs> Narn. Mm-hmm. Well, I think somebody did ask, or maybe it was one of us. I may have forgot. Is and maybe Mikey was you who said, "Well, does Jakar come back next episode?" Question mark. It wasn't me, but <laughs> I know the answer. But I'm surprised that they didn't ask the question mm-hmm. how does the removal of rifa affect the balance of power in the centauri empire well Lando's gonna have a lot more to do now mm-hmm. he's set himself up quite well although he's not gonna like it very much because he's gonna realize how much of a fuck the uh <laughs> the centauri emperor is <laughs> i'm I looking mean, forward to the newbies watching cartagia <laughs> cartagia or caligula yes <laughs> oh emily's gonna have so much fun with that one oh, she's, she's gonna actually like him she's dark and sadistic <laughs> she'll like him oh look he's got heads on his desk and he talks to them my favorite character <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is as much as I, I i believe this is a turning point for londo and jakar this is the final like movement that londo needs to be set up to be running centauri 
He's he's to a point now where the only thing between him and that is Cartagia, and that will be dealt with later on. But he is the the right hand to the emperor at this point because he can basically do and say whatever he wants. And the line gets dropped in this episode. He's also freaking rich. Money has been pouring in to the Malari family, so he has everything he needs to be set up for what's next. The only thing that was in his way was Rifa and Cartagia, and he's taken one of those out. And then the last one for our questions is, how long will Sheridan keep his Flash Gordon haircut? I I haven't gone back to look. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if he changes his haircut. I know he grows a beard in season five. Right. Okay, we got nothing on that one, guys. No, we got nothing on that. <laughs> we'll we'll find out. Sorry, Justin. Uh, I'm sure there's an answer, and I'm sure everyone's screaming the answer back home. I get you. I understand. Throw in the comment sections a little spoiler tag for us. We're just not going to go for, fast forward and find out right now. So predictions. Justin wants to see more of the religious leaders. I'm sorry, Justin. This is the last time you're going to see Brother Theo unless you watch The Lost Tales. And why would you do that? We've had this conversation with Justin already. <laughs> I mean, there will definitely be conversations about religion because that's one of JMS's things yeah. he to talk about. But as Justin calls them, Religion Incorporated, this is the last time we see those guys. Yeah. Anybody else have anything you want to say about that? No. I mean, they were characters of the week. Yeah. I love Theo. I mean, I, I think he's great. I actually – I'm – I'm surprised that based on my previous rewatching that Theo's only on three episodes. Yeah. I always think of Theo being more of a mainstay in season three. See, and he's really not. I'm the opposite. I actually completely forgot he even existed. Mm. And, and and it's kind of surprising to me because as, as much as I thought he was, uh, or I didn't, I didn't remember him at all, but um, watching passing through Gethsemane uh, had, had a big impact on me in this rewatch. And I really, really appreciated his character. And that was the one that made me want to see more of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I didn't. <laughs> Well, you know, the interesting thing, since you mentioned passing, we Sheridan has the same interaction with Theo that he does with the uh, the Reverend in this episode. Both Theo and him kind of call him on his shit mm-hmm. both times. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting that that kind of comes around twice. Or actually, if you count Kosh, three times. It's a shame we won't see Louis Tureen again. Or oh, he's great. Theo. I, I really enjoy the character. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I liked it in, in this episode. I thought he was... You know, he was kind of the, you know, the the straight guy humor, you know, going on um, to mm-hmm. to the others who were a little bit more, um, you know, funny about things. And he was kind of doing it, um, you know, with the sarcastic stuff. I, I thought it worked very well. That's why I think Shepard Book and Serenity and uh, uh, Firefly are is my favorite guy in that in that show because it's kind of the same idea. He's got that that grandfatherly like uh, I'm going to tell you like it is and uh give you good advice but also be a dick when i need to be uh, yeah so. of course book had a little something else going on that we said he did never got he to did. see the end of uh, yes if only if only if only and now joss whedon's an asshole but or was an asshole back then too we just know about it now yeah right i, I still would have loved to have a few more seasons of firefly me too okay and nicole wins the obvious fucking prediction of the week <laughs> By saying the showdown is coming. Maybe. Thank you for that. There's actually two showdowns coming in season four. One with the shadows and one with Earth. And I think the newbies will be surprised which one gets cleaned up first. And then uh, Justin rounds it out by saying the battle is going to be bad, bloody, and the good guys aren't always going to win. Certainly true. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Sheridan's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, the good guys win, but there are some... People get lost along the way, to your point yes, earlier, Kevin. They do, yes. Yeah. And uh, it's... it's uh, we've we kind of just we kind of talked about this over and over again with the the truncated season four, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the newbies feel about how fast in season four the shadow war is ended and we pivot to Earth. It'll be interesting to see because the shadows have been built up all the way back to season one as the big bad bads of the entire show, and we're about what 10, 12 episodes away from them being wiped off the board. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It's a shame how that worked out. You know, it would have been nice to have, you know, the the shadow season and then the earth season, if that's the way he was planning on doing it. it and then David the Manchild. That too. But there might have been a lot of filler in there too, but anything mm-hmm. would be better than some of the filler in season five. But we'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> One of us is going to like season five. I don't know who it's going to be because none of us <laughs> liked season five. But one of us is going to turn around and go, you know what? It wasn't. Three, not it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap this up? Cool. Well, we'll be back next week to talk shadow dancing. And again, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and check out all the links down below. If you can join us over at uh, our Discord via Patreon, that's great too. And a special thank you to all our producers who are listed down below who are members of our Grey Council. And then also, please, 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 if you can leave a review, that would be great. Uh, Apple really does help us expand our our audience. And so it would be great if you could help us with a review. I mean, you can give Mike, Kevin, all the shit you want, but just make it a five-star. That's all we ask. And uh, so until next week, when we talk shadow dancing and we deal with the good Dr. Franklin, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Mike. And Kevin. See ya. Mm-hmm.